Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Christina Darnell in for Natasha Smith, also coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, popular radio host and personal finance guru Dave Ramsey is being sued for $150 million over some of his advice that allegedly turned out badly for those who followed it. Also, one of the largest Christian broadcasters in the nation, Daystar Television Network, lost $25 million in the cryptocurrency market. Now they're suing to get it back. We'll have some details. Finally, we remember the remarkable life and career of Pat Robertson, who died this week. We begin today with Rick Warren's media campaign to have Saddleback Church reinstated in the Southern Baptist Convention. Days before the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting, former megachurch pastor Rick Warren has appealed to his fellow Southern Baptists to overturn a denominational decision to oust his Saddleback Church because it permits women to serve with the title pastor. In an open letter published last Friday, Rick Warren argued for the autonomy of the local church, a long-standing Baptist principle. He said that freedom-loving churches should say no to the executive committee of the SBC uh, from becoming a theological magisterium that controls a perpetual inquisition of churches. And the SBC's executive committee voted back in February to oust Saddleback, and they were approving a recommendation from the Credentials Committee who had determined that Saddleback was, quote, not in friendly cooperation. And the reason was because Stacy Wood, who is the wife of Rick Warren's successor, Andy Wood, had been given the title of teaching pastor. Yeah, on Mother's Day weekend back in 2021, Saddleback ordained three women who were longtime staffers at the church. Nearly two years later, Katie Edwards was announced as the new campus pastor of the church's Lake Forest, California location, which is the flagship location. In May, Saddleback announced it would appeal the decision. And since that time, Rick Warren has mounted a campaign that includes the open letter that we just mentioned, a website and a video series detailing why he thinks the church should be permitted to remain within the Southern Baptist fold. Your own family members hold opposing opinions, but you don't disown them because of that, Rick Warren wrote. You still love them in spite of the disagreement. Rick Warren also cited Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong, and both of those are women missionaries, in whose names major denominational missions funds are collected every year in SBC churches. So in his letter, he encouraged fellow Baptists to, quote, say no to those who would have silenced these Southern Baptist women. Delegates of the annual meeting, which is set for next week in New Orleans, will vote on whether to affirm or overturn decisions about Saddleback, along with two other churches that have also appealed their disfellowshipping from the denomination, one for having a woman in a pastoral role and the other for a, quote, lack of intent to cooperate in resolving concerns regarding a sexual abuse allegation. 
Well, our next story is about an independent investigation that has concluded that former Illinois megachurch leader Mike Baker likely misused his position as a senior pastor to cover up sexual misconduct allegations against his son, Caleb, while he was a former associate pastor at that church. The investigation found that Mike Baker, more likely than not, withheld information about a sexual relationship between Caleb and another staff member from other members of the staff and church elders at Eastview Christian Church, which has two campuses in Normal, Illinois and Bloomington, Illinois. The report also found that Mike Baker, that's the dad, remember, did not fully disclose information about the allegations against his son uh, with the Arizona church that had hired him after he was fired from Eastview. Right. And then in February, Caleb Baker was fired from that Arizona church, which is Central Christian Church, uh, where he had been the lead student pastor and associate preaching pastor. And he was fired for having an extramarital affair. Mike Baker resigned from ECC shortly thereafter amid allegations that he had improperly handled the 2016 investigations against his son and had inappropriately overseen the church's investigation into the matter. But since leaving the church, uh, Mike Baker has launched a new online teaching ministry called Song and Sword. He also has a YouTube channel. Up next is a story highlighting the importance of mandatory reporting of sexual assault by religious leaders, and that includes pastors and counselors. Two Tennessee women have accused the senior pastor of First Apostolic Church in Maryville, Tennessee, of failing to report sexual assaults they suffered when they were 11 and 12 years old. Instead, the pastor offered prayer. Tennessee law requires anyone with reasonable cause to believe that a child is being sexually abused to report that suspicion to local law enforcement or the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. The two women both alleged that they were raped by 18-year-old men who were active in the church. The women said girls in the apostolic church were expected to begin dating at a young age, so it was not unusual for them to be with the men. But the men forced themselves on the girls sexually, that according to the Knoxville News. After the incidents, which happened several years apart, each woman said they met with Reverend Kenneth Carpenter, who, as I said, offered to pray for them, but nothing else was done, at least to their knowledge, and the alleged perpetrators were never publicly disciplined. The church's attorneys argue that the 18-year-old boys, they were not acting on behalf of the First Apostolic Church, so the insinuation that the church had a legal duty regarding the incidents is, quote, false. The women came forward after a former worship leader and middle school teacher at the church's Apostolic Christian Academy, Joseph Cade Abbott, who was 26 years old, was arrested in January and charged with abusing a 14-year-old student. A lawsuit against Abbott and the church asserts the church should have been aware of the abuse. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, popular personal finance guru Dave Ramsey has been sued for $150 million by former fans who followed his advice. 
I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we will have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I am Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Next up, the story we promised before the break. It's the story of Dave Ramsey. He is being sued over advice that he gave about timeshares. A group of former followers of Dave Ramsey has sued the Christian finance guru and radio host, along with his company and a marketing firm, for endorsing a failed timeshare exit company that allegedly defrauded customers out of millions of dollars. Seventeen former Ramsey listeners filed a class action lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for Western Washington, alleging Ramsey was paid as much as $30 million from 2015 to 2021 to endorse a company called Timeshare Exit Team. They're a Kirkland, Washington firm that collected $200 million from clients, many of them Ramsey listeners, in exchange for a promise to free them from their timeshare obligations. And that promise came with a money-back guarantee. It did, but the company, which often collected more than $5,000 per customer, failed to live up to those promises. In 2021, Reed Hine & Associates, which did business as Timeshare Exit Team, paid about $2.6 million to settle a deceptive business practices lawsuit filed by the Attorney General of Washington State, and then later the company went out of business. The lawsuit alleges that Ramsey, Timeshare Exit Team, and Happy Hour Media Group, a marketing firm with ties to Brandon Reed, one of the founders of Timeshare Exit Team, violated the Washington Consumer Protection Act by defrauding customers, committing negligent malrepresentation, and were guilty of unjust enrichment and conspiracy. The lawsuit seeks damages in excess of $150 million. The plaintiffs allege that they relied on Ramsey's enthusiastic support for Timeshare Exit Team and his expertise in finance when they decided to do 
business with that company. Known for his hatred of timeshare companies, Ramsey had boasted about his confidence in the expertise of timeshare exit team. In fact, in a 2018 segment of his show, a video of which remains on the YouTube page of the Dave Ramsey show, Ramsey told listeners that he had looked for years to find a company that could help people get out of timeshares. Ramsey stuck by the company despite its legal troubles and allegations that it had defrauded customers, claiming that government officials, reporters, and the entire timeshare industry had conspired against them. Our next story also includes allegations of financial fraud. Word of God Fellowship, which owns the Daystar Television Network, one of the largest Christian television networks in the nation is suing a company called Silvergate. Now, Silvergate is a now liquidated cryptocurrency bank, and they're suing them for using $25 million in ministry funds to participate in a massive cryptocurrency scheme with Sam Bankman-Fried and his now defunct FTX trading. Attorneys for Word of God claim in a newly filed lawsuit that Silvergate and its CEO, Alan Lane, had, quote, unparalleled knowledge of the rampant fraud and corporate malfeasance. But rather than reporting on FTX and Bankman-Fried's alleged scheme, the bank continued to funnel money to FTX, including the $25 million deposited by Word of God Fellowship, Daystar in other words, uh, only two months before FTX's public collapse. Now, Word of God is demanding that Silvergate return its deposit in full. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take another break. At the height of the pandemic, many Americans who attended in-person worship service turned instead to their computers and their couches for virtual viewing. And now a Pew Research Center study finds that a third of Americans regularly attend in-person worship services, while a bit more than a quarter regularly still watch religious services on TV or online. But the survey suggests that the experiences of the two groups are very different. That's right. A half of those who are regular online watchers of religious services usually do so alone. And more than half, or about 61% of those who are who virtually attend, do not participate in worship activities as they did when they were in person, such as singing or kneeling or praying out loud. And in one of the most interesting, though perhaps not one of the most surprising findings, Americans who do worship online find it fairly satisfying. Two-thirds of U.S. adults who regularly stream religious services or watch them on TV say, they are either extremely satisfied or very satisfied with the services they see. Why do you say it's not surprising? Well, because online viewers could easily just turn off the TV or the computer if they weren't satisfied, or they could, most of them anyway, could go to church. Now, I know some will say that I'm discounting the number of people who watch virtually because they can't attend church, but the data don't really suggest that. Nearly half of the people who watched online church said that they did so because of convenience. Fewer than a quarter cited health reasons. 
I should note, though, that even a larger share of U.S. adults expressed significant satisfaction with in-person worship, with 74% of those who attend in-person worship saying that they were very or extremely satisfied with the sermons and 69% saying the same about music. Well, let's take another break. When we return, our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. And this week, we have a few notable deaths to report. We do. And first up is Elizabeth Sherrill. Elizabeth Sherrill's uh, better known as Tib Sherrill to her friends, was a writer and editor for Guidepost magazine for 65 years. And she was the author or co-author of more than 30 books, including some notable bestsellers. One of them was Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. And uh, she died uh, on May 20th in Massachusetts. She was 95 years old. Tib Sherrill wrote many books with her husband, John. Uh, now, John and Tib met aboard the ship, the Queen Elizabeth, in 1947 when they were both going to Europe. She was on her way to study at the University of Vienna, and they were married just three months later. They ended up staying married for more than 70 years. When John was hired as an editor for Guideposts in 1951, he tapped Tib to write inspirational stories for the fledgling publication, um, starting out as a ghostwriter for such notables even as Alfred Hitchcock. In addition to co-writing The Hiding Place, a memoir, of course, about Corey Ten Boom's experiences fighting the, with the Dutch underground when the Nazis occupied the Netherlands in World War II, uh, Tibb also wrote The Cross and the Switchblade with David Wilkerson and God's Smuggler with Brother Andrew. Both of them have become evangelical classics. We also have news of the death of a significant Methodist musician and educator. The Reverend Carlton Young, known as Sam Young, has died. Young was a prominent Christian musician and music educator known for editing the Methodist hymnal, not only of 1966 vintage, but the most recent hymnal, which was published in 1989. It's still being used today. Now, Sam Young was 97 years old. He directed music for nine United Methodist Church General Conferences, including the one in 1968 
1998, which was the first official formal gathering of the newly formed United Methodist Church. Young composed more than 200 sacred music pieces himself for choir and organ and wrote about 50 hymns. The United Methodist Hymnal of 1989, as I said, remains the denomination's principal songbook today, and it sold more than 4.6 million copies. Lastly, uh, Pat Robertson died this week. Pat Robertson, a religious broadcaster who turned a tiny Virginia station into the global Christian broadcasting network and ran for president and helped make religion central to Republican Party politics in America through his Christian coalition, died at age 93. Robertson's death Thursday was announced by his broadcasting network. Robertson's Enterprises included not just the Christian Broadcasting Network, but also, Christina, as you know, Regent University, because you're a graduate, an evangelical Christian school in Virginia Beach, uh, the American Center for Law and Justice, which defends the First Amendment rights of religious people, and Operation Blessing, which is one of the largest international humanitarian organizations in the world. For more than a half century, Robertson was a familiar presence in American living rooms, known for his 700 club television shows. And in later years, he was known for his pronouncements of God's judgment, blaming natural disasters on the nation's sins. In addition to revolutionizing Christian broadcasting, he also shaped American politics, especially the Republican Party politics. He did. Robertson pioneered the now common strategy of courting Iowa's network of evangelical Christian churches and pastors. And he finished second in the Iowa caucuses the year he ran, which was ahead of then Vice President George H.W. Bush. By the time of his resignation as the Christian Coalition's president in 2001, Robertson said that he wanted to concentrate on ministerial work at that time. His impact on both religion and politics in the U.S. was in the words of John Green, who is a, an emeritus political science professor at the University of Akron, enormous. Many followed the path that Robertson cut in religious broadcasting. Uh, John Green told the Associated Press in 2021, Robertson helped cement the alliance between conservative Christians and the Republican Party. Warren, we often close this show with some quick notes about some of our regular weekly features. So let's start with the ministry spotlight. Habitat for Humanity is in the ministry spotlight this week. It was founded in 1973 by Millard and Linda Fuller, and it's grown to cover the world, literally. I mean, it's in all 50 states and more than 70 countries around the world. Uh, families and individuals in need of shelter partner with Habitat for Humanity to build houses that match the uh, individual's or the family's financial needs. And so far, more than 7 million people have received new or dramatically renovated improved housing from Habitat for Humanity. Habitat is an openly Christian organization, but it also boasts a policy never to proselytize or work with any organization that will proselytize while doing work on their behalf. By the way, Habitat for Humanity has a donor confidence score of 61 from Ministry Watch, which candidly is not our top score. It means give with caution. Any final thoughts before we go? 
I do want to draw everyone's attention to an article that we posted on the website this week that I think many of our listeners will like. Uh, It's by Amy Julia Becker, and her article is called Hillsong Was Extraordinary. That's the problem. She praises the ordinary church in that article, the one without the celebrity pastor in the private jet, but which serves faithfully in its local community. It's a really well-written article, and I hope our readers will check it out. Anything else? I want to mention that this is our 25th anniversary year. Rusty and Carol Leonard founded Ministry Watch in June of 1998. We'll be featuring an interview with Rusty and Carol next week, and I hope you'll listen to it when we post it, probably on Tuesday. I think you'll be blessed by these two extraordinary people and the story they tell of the early days of Ministry Watch. And as a reminder, I want to make sure everyone knows that I'll be doing lunches for readers and donors uh, on some of my travels in the next couple of weeks. I'll be in Colorado Springs, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Los Angeles, California in June, in part to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Ministry Watch. So keep an eye on your inbox for invitations to these events. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen Dubarry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Eric Obernauer, Ann Stike, Kim Roberts, Adele Banks, Bob Smetana, Amy Julia Becker, Jessica Etteralde, and Rod Pitzer. A special thanks to the nonprofit Times for contributing material for this week's podcast. I'm Christina Darnell in for Natasha Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Warren Smith, also in Charlotte. And by the way, I do want to mention that the reason Natasha has been out for the last few weeks, and Christina, we really do thank you for uh, filling in for is she is getting married this weekend. So uh, congratulations to her groom. Best wishes to Natasha. I believe that's the way the etiquette uh, says I'm supposed to say that. And um, to all of our listeners, please be praying for them for a um, blessed, happy, and fruitful marriage. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.